Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and of course a little bit of entertainment. This is episode 50 of the podcast. Yes, episode 50. I really can't believe it. Seems like only yesterday we launched with the first episode back in May of 2019. 50 is such a milestone to reach, so I'm thrilled to still be going strong with the show. The podcast is most certainly a labour of love, a passion project that has featured a whole host of amazing guests I have had the pleasure of chatting with, each with their own incredible story to share. Thank you to everyone who has engaged with the show so far, supporting it, tuning in, subscribing, sharing and being part of our podcasting adventure. It's been lots of fun over the past 50 episodes and I'm looking forward to releasing the next 50. It was great this week to see so much activity surrounding International Women's Day. And indeed, there seems to be a lot more awareness and advocacy this year with the campaign. The hashtag Choose to Challenge resonated with a lot of people and it's something I think we can all embrace, regardless of who or where we are and what we do. I was delighted to be invited to participate in a variety of initiatives as part of International Women's Day 2021, including hosting a Women for Try webinar featuring the UK's Women for Try ambassador Lindsay Patterson and South Africa's ambassador Rebecca Gatagny. I'm also excited to be part of the lineup of the Triathlon Ireland and Rowing Ireland Women in Leadership webinar series Making Waves. I'll be joining Sinead Galvin from Galvin Sports Management on Monday, March the 22nd at 7pm for our webinar called Using Your Voice. Very aptly titled, don't you think? You can check both of these out on www.trytalkingsport.com. Have you taken advantage of some of the mild March weather? I'm still swimming in the sea every day and have enjoyed getting back out on the road and clocking up some bike miles in the fresh air. I've enjoyed the turbo over the past few months and all the zwifting, but nothing beats being on the open road. And speaking of the open road, I took part in my first virtual 5k race since the last episode and was delighted to clock 26.18 for the distance. It's been a long time since I've seen times like that. The goal for February was to run a sub 30 minute 5k, so I was thrilled with the time. It hurt like hell, but was enjoyable when it was done. My next running goal is to back this 5k up with a good 5 mile virtual race time at the end of this month. It was a good month for my fitness generally. I finally got the upgrade to Catsy Rider on Zwift but I quickly got my ass kicked in my first race in the new category. But it's all good. Hopefully I can only get fitter and stronger from here and the time on the turbo will stand to me as we embrace some longer spins outdoors in the coming weeks. In the last episode I was getting ready to host our new breakfast show with Helen Murray from the Inside Tri Show. Did you join us for the tri-commute? It was so much fun. So much so, we are hosting our next event on Friday, March 26th at 7.30am. We'll have a very special guest joining us for this live show, so keep an eye on our social pages for the details. For this 50th episode of the podcast, I chatted with Olympian Gavin Noble about his career in sport as an athlete and now his multiple roles as Deputy Chef de Mission and Marketing Lead for Team Ireland, as well as his role as one half of Hup Hup with Aina McGrath. As an athlete, Gavin began triathlon in 1995 and won at every level, from youth, including a British junior title, to senior, over every distance nationally. He was the first ever male triathlete to represent Ireland at Olympic Games in 2012, where he finished in an impressive 23rd position in London. 
Gavin is still the only Irish male athlete to have won an Ironman 70.3 as a professional athlete, breaking the tape at Ironman 70.3 Zellamse in 2013 after achieving his Olympic dream a year previous. Studying sports marketing at university set him up for life during and after elite sport, going down the road of working in sponsorship for a few years in the States before returning home to work in an agency in Dublin and now as part of Team Ireland and Hup Hup. Before his retirement as an athlete, Gavin had a stellar career in a sport he is extremely passionate about. In fact, even though he has retired as an elite, he lives and breathes the sport through his athletes. He brings his passion, experience and self-confessed competitiveness to the next generation of athletes chasing goals, dreams and podiums. In the most recent full season of racing back in 2019, some of the Hop Hop coached athletes' results speak for themselves including the Irish Senior Male and Female National Olympic Distance Champion, the Irish Senior Male and Female Long Distance Champion, Irish International Athlete of the Year in Triathlon, with Carolyn Hayes achieving one ITU World Cup silver medal and four ITU Premium Cup podiums in that year. They also coached the Irish Senior Elite Sprint Triathlon Champion, had a number of Ironman age group podiums and a Kona qualification, as well as a host of other results across triathlon and cycling. Having raised to the highest level in the sport of triathlon, Gavin Noble is utilising his experience to bring the best out of not only his coached athletes, but also to ensure the Olympic experience for Team Ireland athletes is the best it can be, within the constraints of a summer games that is expected to be held in the midst of a global pandemic far away from home. There is enough material in this episode to have two shows, But as Gavin has promised to do a follow-up for the 100th episode, this is going out as one show. Grab a cuppa, put your feet up and enjoy. Gavin Noble, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Episode 50, woohoo! Delighted to be here. And episode 52, uh, congrats to you for... Uh, hanging in so long it's like a triathlon in itself it's like a long distance triathlon I love it and hate it in equal measures but there's always a great sense of achievement when the podcast goes live tell us where are you these days and and what are you up to where am I that's a good question Uh, well I live in Greystones uh, just outside Greystones in County Wicklow I'm how do I answer that one without offending anyone I have a lovely wife called Siobhan I have two little kids uh, Ted and Izzy I'm surviving like everyone else during this year uh, as you know, and I guess maybe one of the reasons I'm here is uh, we have a, a good coaching setup in Hop Up with Base the Race and Ada McGrath. Um, I'm also working for the Olympic team, so I'm deputy chef the mission for Tokyo Games, which is coming up uh, hopefully. Uh, and I've been working with them for the for the past two years, so I, I sort of balance my time now between the Olympic team uh, and Hop Up, which a really nice balance and allows me to never there's never a dull day in my my little world you know how do you balance both because that's like a two full-time jobs yeah my olympic contract has a small print where and, and any other jobs that need doing uh, we're a small team in, in the olympic federation so um like i don't even see it as work like if i'm honest i worked in a in an advertising company a pr company ogilvy in town for a year i worked for specialized on the road post triathlon but like the work with the Olympic team and the work with Hop Up, I, I, I sort of, I don't even think of it as a job, you know, so I'm sort of lucky in that way. I'm sort of doing two things I love equally um, and I'm able to balance it, I guess, with, you know, this year the, the Olympic team will take over a little bit more just because of the games and we were able to dial up and dial back Hop Up as we want and it's the same for Aina. Aina is a, a lecturer, I guess, by trade. He's been working in WIT and he's worked before in Trinity, so Hop Up sort of started as a, as a passion project, we're able to dial it up or dial it back, depending on what's happening in our, in our real jobs, you know. So I've always described Hop Up as just is a is a little community that we're we're trying to grow 
and we can put as much time and effort into it as we want. Um, it's sustainable by itself, but I think in order for us to sort of make it a long-term project, it has to be a passion project on the side. And it's not one of those, I think we could both walk away from it if, if we weren't enjoying it. And you can't, you can never really say that about a job, you know? Yeah, I'm lucky in that regard. Well, they say if you find something that you enjoy, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. So like, uh, I never worked. My, my mum and dad used to worry when I was an athlete that I didn't have a job because I wasn't working. And I'm trying to find my way through life with uh, maintaining that status in my family of never having a real job. <laughs> the Olympic job is a real job. I have to say it's super serious. It's super serious. But at the same time, I, I'm very so passionate and motivated by it that it doesn't feel like it's never a chore. Yeah, I, I feel like that sometimes too, that I don't have a real job. My mum often asks me, what do I be doing when I'm at the laptop? And yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm on a call or I'm doing work. And she's like, well, well what yeah. work are you actually doing? You know, but uh, yeah, you're emailing. never emailing. <laughs> on social media social media is a job in itself even if you're only posting up uh, training pictures or pictures of food so Gavin I want to come back and talk a little bit about your background in sport let's talk through your your journey to where you are today so how did you get started in in the sport of triathlon initially were you always sporty before triathlon came along Uh, our family uh, we grew up in Enniskillen Uh, our family um, two brothers two sisters there's five of us uh, we were all swimmers back then. My two little sisters uh, swam for Ireland um, pretty good. Uh, my little sister swam junior commie games. Um, my two brothers, Ulster level swimmers. Um, I was probably the least talented of everyone. And whenever your little sister starts beating you in the lane, you need to find somewhere else. Huh? Um, and I started to try in 1995, Ulster schools. Um, so I guess I'm a dinosaur in triathlon terms in Ireland, right? People sort of hang around now for three or four years, but. I can only think of Peter Jack, who who will outlive me in terms of being involved in Try in Ireland. But in 1995, 1996, uh, Ulster schools, Irish schools. Um, back then, it was, it was very different than it was. I was 16, 17, doing Olympic distance in Hell of the West, you know. So, like, very different sort of way of introduction to the sport. But I, I sort of, I look back in those days and those races that people won't even have known about you know, Liam Ball, International Triathlon, Cushion Dunn. The races in the north actually were the stronger of the races, I'd say, back then. Um, Ulster Schools, Ulster Champs was, was, if you won Ulster Champs, you were probably, you would win Irish Champs. And there, was a, there was a lot of stepping stones along the way there. So very different back then. Um, I don't know, sometimes the older you get, the more you, you think back with fonder memories of how it used to be like in the olden days, you know. <laughs> but it was super back then. Like I was even thinking about it last night when it was coming on and um, Peter Jack used to organize this race called Row Valley Sprint and we do it every year and we do the schools um, Brian Keane who, who you know as well he would have come up from Cork even from Irish school so I, he's just as old as me you know when I think back and then it was, it was very different it was easier maybe for, for a younger athlete there was more races more opportunities um, but yeah I, I started because I was a swimmer I did a relay first my school needed a relay Batora I went to Batora um, and I needed a relay for Ulster schools and it just turned out that on the day of the race the, the guy who was the cyclist had pulled out and so there was no more relay and I was forced to do to do the whole thing so that's how it started I fell off the bike of course jumping on in transition like everyone else does uh, but I think I came second that day and I won Irish schools that year so it was so sorry come back come back so you were entered as a relay because you were the swimmer but the cyclist yeah. couldn't he race didn't, he didn't Something happened in the morning, playing football or something. Um, I had a bike in the garage. I was on my way anyway. <laughs> so you did the swim, bike and run? Yeah, I did the swim, bike and run in a 
in a basketball t-shirt that was like a dress, a Jor- like a Jordan cut off the sleeve. And people didn't care what you looked like. I, you couldn't do that today because, you know, people care what you look like. But back then it was simpler times. I crashed. Um, you know, I could run okay because I ran in school, you know, so biking was something I had to work on. <laughs> so you so you did well in that race and then went on to the Irish champs that year? Yeah, so like back then it was sort of very structured. So you had Ulster schools, Connacht schools, Munster, Leinster. Um, it just so happened that the Irish schools that year were also in Enniskillen. It was like the Ulster Federation's um, turn to organise. So it was in Enniskillen in my home pool, you know, so it was an easy sort of introduction. You do Ulster schools, you do Irish schools. We did um, that for like three years. I went, you know, if you won Irish schools back then, you you went to British British youth champs, and so that was the pathway. You know, um, I went to to youth champs then nineteen ninety seven ninety eight and won in a because um, I was a Nordy. You know, we went to British youth champs and um, we represented Northern Ireland. It was like Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, South England, all that. So that's how it was all set up. Um, so pretty, it was pretty. The pathways then were were good for for younger athletes, and there was a, you know, if you won Irish schools, then you were selected to be the Irish junior. Do you remember those home nations? We had like home nations. We had Liam Ball. Like I remember racing in a race with Tim Don, who I'd only ever seen in a in a two twenty magazine. Do you know, um, Peter Crow is another guy who the Irish, some of the Irish guys I know, came on a lot of our camps. He would have come over from Belgium. Um, the, there was a lot of emphasis, put, I guess, on juniors back then, and I, I knew no different. And you know, you're not going to turn down a, a chance to race for the Irish Vest. And um, so, yeah, I, I had a great introduction to try. It was exciting. Three sports. Um, it wasn't following the black line, getting my ass kicked by my little sister, um, and those little things that sort of made me made me interested in it. My mum tells a story of she always knew when a race was coming up because I'd suddenly get sick on a Wednesday and Thursday the week before and as soon as they'd leave for school I'd be out on the bike wandering <laughs> around if, if anyone needs a getaway driver in Enniskillen like I'm your man I know every back road that there's no cars on in case I get caught mitching from school so um yeah like I loved it I loved being out on the bike getting lost back then I guess to you know yourself 90s they seemed a little bit you know you, you could your mum could leave you in down the swimming pool and you could walk home no 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 worries <laughs> you know I'd run home it's 5k and so yeah back then it was it was easier in many ways to get involved but still I guess to stay involved you need to be a little bit stubborn and being stubborn and patient and always trying to improve I guess that was my talent what was the pathway then to the elite side of things that you ended up in the sport full-time like it wasn't. I wouldn't even say that necessarily. That I was a good junior, you know. Like I won British Youth, so I was racing. You know, guys. You'll know Dan Plews, uh, who was a top age girl. Like he would have been second or third in that race. But there wasn't necessarily the coaching structures in Ireland at the time. If you wanted to be good, you still had to leave. So um, I chose my university based on going over and train with the Scots. So I moved to Stirling in Stirling University. I was a scholarship athlete there, which was which is great. I, I had two offers at that point, one from Stirling as a scholarship and one from Loughborough. Those were the two sort of back then, late 90s, early 2000s, those were the two places to be, you know. So I went there. They had a great setup. They sort of welcomed me, the Scots. The Scots and the Irish get on a little bit more than the Irish and the British or English maybe. Like, and I trained there for, you know, I ended up being there 10 years, 12 years after uni. I bought a house there. Russell White ended up coming over. 
uh, David McNamee lived with me for a while. Fraser and Blair Cartman were there. Darren Smith. Um, so it was a, it was an amazing place to train, and I got an education sort of alongside you know training. Went to Cummy Games when I was in, in Sterling, but there was nothing in Ireland to to draw me home until a guy Chris Jones came back. He was Aliens coach. And again, I guess that's what we're trying to now do in Hop Up. We're trying to create a group. Like I only got good because I was training with better people. Like I was with, in in the group in Sterling. I was probably the worst for many years, you know, hanging on. I could swim and I could bike and I was a really good trainer. But I, I outlasted most people and I got to a higher level than most people just because I appreciated that it, I wasn't going to be good in six months or a year. It's going to take me and my physiology five, ten years to, to reach potential and those are the sort of things where, where we're coaching people right now. They want you know, they come and coach with us at Hop Up and they expect they're in a race in in six weeks and six months and I'm like, dude, like you're trying to do things that took me twelve years. Yeah? <laughs> like a little bit of respect <laughs> for for the process of what we're trying to do. So um, no but back then like I had a sort of it wasn't seamless. Like I was always injured. I trained too much. Um, I had to sort of find my way, went through lots of groups um, similar experiences that like Ana would have had when he was trying to make it. He moved to Australia. Brian moved to Australia. He was living in Australia at the time. And I sort of think that finding your way sort of hardened you a little bit and, and sort of it got us it got us all, you know, Brian and myself especially to where we are or where we were, you know. Like I've only only fond memories of that. There's there's so many some people look back and they think of the injuries and like you getting your ass kicked in races and going to you know, going to a European champs and, and not doing well, going to races and getting lapped. Like, like I've, I, I sort of look at the juniors now, and I, if I see them not doing so well in a race or not finishing a race, I sort of, I sort of, I feel bad that they're in the same position I was in 1999. <laughs> you know, like uh, that's, and I guess again that's why hop up where I, we're trying to coach people, not necessarily fancy coaching, but where we've learned by our mistakes, and we're trying to not let the current Irish crop who we coach. And make the same mistakes we did because we sort of know how painful that can be, you know. You mentioned there, Gavin, um, you know, suffering from a number of injuries and then disappointments at races and things like that where you might have been lapped. You know, how, how did you deal with that at the time? Because you were quite young, you're, you're a little bit older now, so it's much easier to deal with yeah. life and disappointments that might happen and, and dealing with COVID. You've actually built up a lot of resilience because you're an athlete and we're a competitive athlete. But at mm. the time, how did you deal with it? It's... I think it's part and parcel of of endurance sport. Been injured, like there's no one who's reached the high level who at some point wasn't injured, wasn't sick, you know, didn't necessarily overdo it at at a time. Um, I'd be I'm always very surprised where, you know, I meet an athlete who's at a high level and at one point they weren't injured or they didn't have a bad year or they weren't out for a year. You're sort of you're trying to live on the edge of doing taking your body to an extreme. Like it's to be at a high level, especially I too and you yourself, the top Ironman. It's not it's not healthy <laughs> like or it's not a you know um we're trying to like I, I trained a lot I was a really good trainer like super trainer Gavin when you say you were a good trainer do you mean as in you were dedicated to your training you wouldn't miss a session you do what you were told you were a good athlete to be coached you were a coachable athlete uh, no, I was uncoachable okay <laughs> which a lot of the it. top elite athletes are non coachable yeah, I was uncoachable. Well, I, to a degree, I, would, I trained a lot with like Tim Don, right? So I was a good partner for Tim Don to train because I'd show up and he'd kick my ass. I'd be back then tomorrow, you know what I mean? Like we went and lived in Stellenbosch for a while. People like Jan Javier, they're all around. So I was always good at training solid. I was always probably training at the wrong intensity if I look back at it. 
I was training at Tim's intensity. If I'm a 31 minute runner and Tim's a 29 minute runner and I'm doing my intervals at his speed or trying to, and that's that's what I look back in hindsight of. I I was I went through a period of probably four or five years where I wasn't training for me and my level. You know, I wasn't trying to build, build, build. I was trying to train at someone else's level. That's how I got injured. So it wasn't necessarily until say 2012, the Olympic year, or 2013 when I was injured and I had to, you know, train to my own program that I actually had a big jump, quite a big jump in performance then. And that's the same where, like, when we're coaching at the moment, like, a lot of the time, we're getting results by asking people to go slower. Like, I hate the word, do speed work, (laughs) you know? You know, we don't do speed work because when you get off the bike, you know, two hours in, um, you're not running fast. Like, they're not running fast. The triathletes aren't running fast in the grand scheme of things. But, like, I wish I had done more slower. And again, that's what we're trying. Even in the, in the pool right now, like we have a daily battle with some of our athletes too. I need you to swim slower if you want to improve. I, I need you to swim slower if you want to make technique changes. Um, I don't want the third person in the lane trying to keep up you know, with the first person in the lane. We do a lot of um, um, swim analysis and we do individual programs. You know, you know yourself when you go down to the tri club and it's really, really hard for the coaches at the moment because there's, you know, 10 people in the lane, people are expecting to be worked super hard. And if, you know, the coach gives four by 800 at slower than your 1500 meter pace, you know, probably not a lot of people will come back. Huh? Like, so I think at the moment, everybody would love the opportunity to be in a it. pool, whether yeah. it's a hard session or a slow, steady yeah. um, breaststroke in the pool at the moment. But I understand what you're saying yeah. about the importance of kind of slowing things down and, and building that base yeah. consistently as opposed to going out and hammering yourself every time you go to yeah. train. So I was pushing. And that's when I got injured. It was because I was pushing too hard. And like I was a mileage junkie, I had to have, you know, 25Ks swimming, I had to have 100Ks running, and I had to have 12 hours, 14 hours riding, and if I didn't have it, I'd be in a bit of a grump, you know? But when I look back at it, I sort of, if I had had someone put their hand on my shoulder, who I respected, and who had been there, or had already coached at a high level, I think I, and they had told me to slow down, and, and you know, that's what Chris Jones, uh, to be fair, uh, tried to do um, at the time. And uh, I guess if I look back, the regret is that I didn't necessarily um, listen enough to the experience or whenever the experience did come, it came a little bit too late. And, and then looking at the Olympics, Gavin, I'm not going to go into each of the individual results sure. because you have had, you know, you've had a stellar career in the sport of triathlon, but the Olympics must have been the pinnacle of that. Yeah, like it's the one you sort of you remember most or it's the journey towards that you remember london was you know it was the home games like i even remember psychologically it's still the brownies it's still gomez it's still varga it's the same guys you raced every week for four years it's just that now it's such a focus and it's the focus of the world when you walk out onto the pontoon it wasn't you know we we, we raced in front of big crowds in hamburg you know but it wasn't one million people also watching on the tv so the games was something special. I, I guess I, I got to it and I sort of thought, I treated it as just another race. But I, I got to the point where I wasn't, I, I failed in Beijing. I wasn't good enough. I missed out by one spot. Um, on the last race, or second last race, I, I was in the ranking for like two years and I lost it in the last one. But I look back and I just wasn't good enough then. I, I persisted to London because I I wasn't doing it for me anymore. I was doing it for other people. So I wanted almost a justification of, family 
parents I wanted them almost it, it was a, a shared Olympic experience for me so it wasn't all about me that games like when I was going into those last qualification races like I wasn't wasn't doing it for me I was doing it for the people who had you know helped me prolong my career to get to that point you know um so when I look back at the Olympics I don't necessarily think about the race um I sort of think about family being there the sort of the after bit of it all some of the sponsors like Anna O'Leary who supported us for a long time she was at the race like I remember a big crowd of piranha people when I was doing my warm-up I spotted them my guys from uni who I hung around with you know rugby guys at uni you know 10 o'clock in a, in the serpent along the serpentine and I see you know St. Patrick's hats and they're drinking <laughs> like like they're bringing cans you know to a triathlon like totally um showing me up but like that's that's those are the things that I remember because my all my friends are there and um when I speak to Brian a little bit about, about that like you know he, he should have been there I guess and it would have been even better if he was and he had the experience in, in Rio but I, I am so glad that I had my experience in London um home games and um even now when I'm thinking I'm working towards Japan and part of my job for Japan is around the experience of the games you know nothing will come close maybe Paris but nothing will come close um in in the short term to to the experience that Irish athletes would have had um, going into London yeah I, I remember it it was just phenomenal watching it uh, on the day I was in Galway I remember watching it and it was just incredible and the crowds were so deep but you could actually yeah. spot on the television the green jerseys or the Irish hats or you know you could see there was such yeah. a huge amount of support for the Irish athletes on the day yeah uh, specialized actually the sponsors they had a big orange bike big orange helmet and all their athletes rode it and it, even then I was injured for this four months going in and I actually think being injured at that point in my career actually helped me a lot because I just had to swim and bike and you know you make you know you only think about I, I need to get around the boy when I got on the pontoon Varga was next to me they're happy days I was like third round the boy and when you get around that first boy you know yourself in a triathlon and there's no fighting like I knew straight away going around the first boy after 350 meters, I was okay. Like there was a sigh of relief. There was no, there was no scrapping. I knew coming up, getting onto the bike, you know, you can see Ferdino's bum. You can see Courtney Atkinson. You can see Gemmel, those boys. But back then, you sort of know that it's going to be okay, you know. And even from that point, you, you're able to enjoy it. And I didn't enjoy the run at all because I was in pain. But even up that point, I know that the people who were there to support me had something to support. And it's a, it's a difficult journey to Olympic qualification for triathlon. And we have talked to Russell White about it yeah. and to Con Doherty, who are both, you know, trying to vie for yeah. a slot for the Olympics. We'll know soon enough, I suppose, what will happen with the qualification. But a very, um, I think the word is like a, a nomadic kind of lifestyle for so many years, traveling around the world, chasing points, trying to get up and to race every time and to put out a performance that will generate points for you. It's really, really hard yeah and it's hard to be well it's not hard being Irish but it's hard being in a smaller system where you know I, I see Russell and what Russell's doing and Russell Russell was me I was Russell like I know exactly how he's thinking and the pressure he's under you know every race counts now whereas you know if you're British and there's like eight or ten people gathering points and the system is a lot clearer you know there's a little bit more pressure in that regard depending how you look on it but for the Irish people the cost that it takes it's it's too costly there's too many races the races are too widespread across the world there's too many opportunities for people to qualify and get points you know if, if i'm at a race this weekend and then i don't race for two week weekends because i can't afford to fly to new zealand and then back to to london and then go to south america it's sort of prohibitive i think you sort of hope that the itu or world triathlon sort of 
look at it in terms of like it's not sustainable for for an athlete there's too many people get to that point and it doesn't become a you know a viable career you get to the olympics or you don't you know it's super hard but because i'm involved now in um in the olympics i see the other sports and they're the same badminton's the same even hockey like all the sports that it's a it's a circuit it's a travel but just in triathlon when you're by yourself a lot of the time like it's not glamorous um it's there's highs there's lows there's loneliness uh, and then that's that's why i sort of do feel at the moment where russell was in a group and uh, we had a little group uh, if you're not in a, in a group of people doing that travel and i wasn't myself in in in, in a group full-time that's where it's even more difficult so russell's doing the right thing by by surrounding himself with people who are on the same journey you know whereas you know, until Aileen came along or, or Brian, I was by myself. Like my dad used to laugh at me by saying, like, take yourself out for dinner, you know, bring a book. And like I just sit and eat in my hotel room because like, I didn't want to walk into the restaurant and the British team are there taking, you know, a big long table of 20 people. And I'm sitting in the corner reading the book with the with the Irish kit I bought in the airport. <laughs> like, <laughs> fuck, like um, those sort of things, you, you have to grow up quite and you have to be quite thick skinned. Um, especially when the bigger teams have, you know, they have so many people, they entourage these big teams where you have to sort of, unless you're in a group of people, and that's what these groups are now, like the Joe Filials, they're all singular people from different sports and they're a team and they're traveling. Like I didn't have that. I was I was Johnny Nomates. And um, lucky for me, there was actually people like Hugh McAtamley and Brian Mahoney was working in ITU. Like I would hang out with, I would hang out with them at the races, you know, um, rather than having to suffer you know, sitting getting slagged off for being paddy at the end of the, the British table, you know. But it must have helped um, with building up your resilience. And I come back to that word again. It's it's not easy for anybody to sit in a room on the, at a table on their own, regardless of uh, who they are or what kit they're wearing or the fact that they're an Olympian. At any stage of life, one of the hardest things to do is to walk into a room on your own. And and even imagine it didn't have, even have a mobile phone. <laughs> it couldn't even sit scrolling couldn't Instagram. Pretend and I was on, you know. Had to buy a newspaper, and everyone knew I couldn't read German. You know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, like, like you, it's hard. It was hard, mentally hard. But I think you you get you know as you get better and you get more respect from results, it becomes easier. You know, people sort of gravitate towards you because you're you know, you don't want to sit with the British team or their Aussie team and you know talk you know with the PD. They'd rather come and chill out with you. So I was pretty relaxed all the time and. And by the end of the career, I got loads of friends from the different from the different teams, and you sort of find yourself gravitating towards the other smaller countries who, you know, there's a Slovakian in exactly the same position as you. Sometimes we even talk about it now. You have to learn how to walk in the room. So if you walk into the room like you shouldn't be there, you're so like no one else cares, no one else even notices you. But if you're so self-conscious before you even walk in the room, then it's a really shitty experience, you know. But if you walk in, I'm here. I've trained just as hard as you. You know, I'm confident in results. You know, I got to the point where I didn't mind sitting on my own, you know, because you have a little bit more self-confidence. But those early days of being a junior, I was hard on. Like it's it wasn't necessarily an enjoyable experience going to a race. Uh, That's actually very important, Gavin, what you're saying there. You see an awful lot of, say, first time athletes and they're nervous about standing on the start line of a race and they're worried about how they look you know, in the lycra, yeah. we don't all look great in lycra, we def- yeah. I definitely don't. <laughs> or even going for a swim, we're all so self-conscious of yeah. doing things when we're outside of our comfort zone. But actually, you know, if you own it and you believe you should be there, then that makes that a little bit less daunting. 
So yeah. pulling on the lycra, whether you've got layers on it or whether you've got, you know, nothing in it, it doesn't yeah. really matter. But the fact that you're standing there and you're being brave by, by starting and stepping up outside that comfort zone, hugely important. We talk about this in Hop Up all the time. Carolyn Hayes has the same fears walking to the start line of Dublin City Trafton as Joanne Murphy has or Gavin has, who's his first ever race, you know, sort of how you deal with it. We have a little saying and hop up and it's just like sometimes the last thing we might say to someone is no one cares. Fucking no one cares. No, they don't No really. one cares about your result. No one cares when you post on Instagram, you know, you know, people's attention span on, on, on social media is 0.6 seconds. Do you know, like no one cares. The only people who care about the result are me, Aina, your mum and your dad. And but social media exaggerates it a little bit because, you know, everyone thinks like everyone's so focused on them. But some people have fallen far of that. And even in our group over the years, and we have a little poster in one of our rooms and it just says no one cares, work harder. So if you have a shitty result, no one really cares. Like you sort of think like the whole world is watching you. But, you know, apart from that, the Olympic Games, no one cares. I think you should put that on a T-shirt, Gavin. The thing about that one is where confidence, confidence for me came from training with the other people. And I'm training with Tim Don every day. Then I walk in the room, I know what Tim Don does, and Tim Don has this result. I'm not as good as Tim Don, but I should be at this level. Like, Tim Don should win. I still should be in the top 20 because I can train with him every day. And that's that's still in an Irish level where there's athletes training in not a high enough performance environment where they think that they're good because they're good in the group in which they train. And when they leave Ireland, then they get found out. So that was, for me, my own self-confidence was built on training knowing exactly where I was in training every day, comparable to people who are in racing at the same level and the best of the world. So like that's hop up it's all about it's the group. Like if you go down, you know, we had track sessions last summer, Carolyn's there, Hillary, Becky, you know, Alva at one point, Orla Walsh, Shannon. Like they know exactly where they are every day. Like every day. So that they should never go into a race that they're not ready for. They should never go into a race expecting something that they haven't been able to do in training last week. But if those athletes all train by themselves and they don't know, they go into the race with a heightened expectation and they become disappointed. And that's another reason why, you know, obviously it's important to get a coach, but for lots of people starting out, actually joining a club is one of the yeah, best yeah. things you can do. And I know myself starting out years ago, I was a crap, I was crap across everything, swim, cycle, run. I couldn't swim, but I joined the club and I got in with a swimming group. I was able to bike, but I wasn't very strong. But you train with people that are a little bit stronger than you across the discipline that you are the weakest. Now I would be a strong cyclist. I'd still be a weak enough swimmer and runner in terms of pace but yeah. you only get better by being pushed by the people around you i would say at that point where you still get better by being pushed but you still need to be in your own lane yes understandable in, yeah like you know so say if we're if we're having a group session then carolyn's running at her pace that we've set um hillary and becky are running at their pace shannon's running at her pace but they're not necessarily all the same paces so even when they walk off the track They've still trained for where they are or who they are. And they know Carolyn's up there, up the road with the boys group, you know. And they know when they see a result from Carolyn. Well, if Carolyn goes off and she comes 20th or first or whatever, I'm still here. I'm still here. So they're not, even with some of our guys, age group guys, top age group guys, they in the session, they still have to train at their level rather than trying to train with someone, the best person in the club, you know. So yeah. if you're going down swimming, you still want to be training for, for Joanne, not for Kathy, who's, you know, a little bit better or whatever, you know. 
the fact that they're a little bit stronger when you're in a group dynamic like that, it does help you to get you stronger yeah. a little bit. Yeah, 100%. yeah. Even the motivation of rocking up to a session and knowing there's going to be 20 people there and you don't even notice the rain or the wind and rocking up by yourself or... Yeah, the collective, uh, the collective suffering. Yeah, like, but even then too, like we have, like we have people who are trying to break three hours thirty for the marathon, you know, not necessarily super high level, but they're the full time jobs and they're forty five fifty, but they're on the same track as Carolyn. Like that's super motivating for them, you know. Kieran's there, uh, Minto's there, you know, bashing around. Like so, that's what we're trying to create that that sort of environment where it's inclusive of every ability but at the same time you're still doing your session so we're not necessarily comparing the the 40 year old man to chris mintern that they're on the same track but they're they're still doing their Their own session yeah gavin coming back to your own um career some highlights and lowlights obviously the olympics was was a highlight you were the first irish male to win an ironman 70.3 if i'm not mistaken as well which was another highlight i imagine yeah i tell you what my my biggest achievement in sport was knowing when to get out. That's weird. Uh, so I did the Olympics, was grand, had a knee operation, and I was training the way. Did some like long dis- like more or less cycling races for a sort of years. I was building back up. Uh, I got offered a job um, by Specialized at the time, and it was like three weeks, four weeks before ZMZ. And the job started, you know, October. I always wanted to do just to see what I was like. You know, could I do it? just so it was in the back of my mind. Um, Graham Cool, who you know from Sterling, his family had booked to go to ZMZ. Can I sleep on your floor? I've got no money. Uh, I'm going to train for three weeks now for this race. I knew what, I sort of know what Fraser Cartmel does in training. Uh, I trained with Brett Sutton for a couple of weeks at one point, sort of know what they do. I was in Limerick at the time. Uh, went to that race, did, did well. and But I did well knowing this was my last one. You know, so, so had I you had made little... the decision? Sorry to interrupt you again. Did you, had you made the decision before going to ZMZ that you were going to retire regardless of your result? Yeah, yeah, more or less. I was offered a job at fifty-one fifty European Champs in like July, at like coffee shop, like the meet. I was sort of working for Specialized. Like I was uh, sponsored by Specialized, and through me at Bobby Behan, who who looked after me incredibly well. I would say like twenty to twenty five in the world. But why would Specialized give me a contract? <laughs> like, 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 why do I need you if I have Gomez? You know. So like, my, my job back then was I was writing the blog. So I am Specialized.com. I was I got fifty dollars per race report, and you know back then some of the dudes, the Ironmen, especially in America, they were racing. You know. There could be 10 Ironmans in the weekend. You know, specialists don't care. Like, I'd write the same race support, you know, 10 times. I'd change the names. <laughs> I'd find the, the result in Slow Twitch, and I'd get paid, you know, $500 that, that weekend. That was super easy. But I was giving them something, and I was also racing. I was at the races. I could I could feedback who was good. You know, I was able to feedback. Uh, there's, a, there's a girl, Lisa Norden. She's, you know, I was able to find out what contract Javier was on that Javier's only getting this much, like, you could get him. Like, that was my job. So I was sort of undercover marketing manager in my last year to a degree. They just wanted to make it full-time and proper. So they offered me that full. I had to still apply for it, do the proper interview. It was my first time having to do a PowerPoint, like, super stressful. You think standing on the start line of Olympic Games is stressful. Imagine trying to do a PowerPoint for the first time, present to, like, the global marketing <laughs> manager. Fucking stressful. Um and, but I knew then, like, this is my route out. This is my chance. I, I put everything into it. Still wanted to do the race. Did the race. 
Um, didn't know what I was doing. Uh, there's a guy, Niels Framhold, who you'll know, a uh, German. He was fourth in the Y that year. I was beside him in transition. I checked his bike, how many bikes gels he had, how many bottles. I went back, got some more gels, <laughs> stuck them on the top tube. I swam with him, st- stayed legally distance behind him. When he drank, I drank. Uh, when he had a gel, I'd take a gel. And when I got off the bike, because I was ITU, I, you know, you start off at 3.15 pace. And even that's slow, you know. And at 3K, you're sort of, you know, 30 seconds in the lead and you sort of got 20K to go. I didn't actually find it that hard to run, to be honest. Like I ran like 113 or something off the bike. And it wasn't, it's not fast. It's fast enough. But like, it only got me at 17K. I just got sore. Like I wasn't heart and lungs. And Emer was there and she was winning. I I made a bet with the uh, Graham Coo's wife that, you know, if I win that race, you know, you'll buy me this. Uh, later hosing for the after party like as a fun thing you know she's standing there with the care to with this later hosing you know we have not made I was like ah oh, fuck it because I remember saying that man. Um, I got a, I won it was super and Emer won even better um, but I knew you know getting on the plane tick box super happy going home you know you win five grand and you're like it's like whoa five grand and you got this big check and then you think okay but now when I have a real job I could be I, I need to be earning that every month <laughs> you know? and not have to worry about, you know, going out too hard in the run to get it. I just have to write good emails. And um, so, yeah, my biggest success in sport was having an education, creating good relationships and knowing when to get out. That was it. That's my highlight. It's such a great story because I can't like you literally winged it. I can't imagine you as somebody who would try and wing a race, but you kind of did in a way. Yeah, like I, I, I knew I was sort of good enough because you train with the boys, you know, Fraser. Like um, I was in Limerick at the time, started recouping. Brian was there. Uh, Con, they did a little camp there. Um, I was swimming pretty good. I, I, I would go and do the road races on the, on the, the guys would go out on like a, a wheel about on a Thursday night. I'd go on the time trial bike and just sit 15 meters off the back of the scratch, like of the A group. That was, you know, I'd run off the bike. I did one session. Um, I did one session on the run where it was 20 by a K uh, on the track. And Tommy Evans was there, helped me out. And I sort of, if I can do this session, so I did like, I would run 320 pace for the 800. And then it would, it, I would have to get to the K at four minutes. So I was running 20 K at four minute K pace, which if you think about it, it's a race not super fast, but I was running 16 Ks at 320 pace. And that was a sort of goal time off the bike. And sort of, that was one session. I did a couple of long rides. And that was it. We just winged it. Like, nutrition never be my strong point. I had a little plan written on the top tube, you know, drink, eat, and I just kept looking at it every time. Yeah, it was grand. I was pretty hungry at the end. Yeah, I got by. I winged it. I winged it. I skillfully, skillfully winged it. Skillfully and talently. Yeah. A yeah. little bit of talent. A little bit of talent. Oh, well, you stop. Stubborn. Stubborn. You have plenty talent. Um, looking back as an athlete, is there anything you'd do differently now if you were to start all over again? Um, not really. <laughs> like, I'd, hopefully, I get injured less. Um, I would have, I would have done a little bit more, a little bit more S and C. Like, I hated it. I think we all do, though. Yeah, it's boring. It's super, super boring. Like, I, like I, I do S and C if I can swim, bike, and run and get the mileage. A lot of the strength work is done in. I would have been just a little bit better at stretching. I would have been a little bit better on um, diet and nutrition. Um, but 
I don't necessarily like that. Like, what would you do differently? I, you know what I mean? Everything you do, do you do it for a reason? You make a choice at the time to go back and sort of should have done that. Don't really, I don't really think about it like that. Like I did it and it made me and it, I did okay and I'm pretty happy. You know, if I had done something differently, might have changed the course of destiny. <laughs> you might, you mightn't be doing, you mightn't be not working now in two jobs yeah, that you absolutely yeah. love. <laughs> I probably would have got. I probably would have left uni and got a job straight away if my dad if my mum and dad could have got me to do anything differently they would have you know don't skip school um in your a-level year to go cycling um well look where um, it led you okay. see yeah look my where wife it has led. a good job find a girl who uh, or find a partner who has a good job and uh, <laughs> you know i'm still winging it <laughs> i'm never going to live that down yeah. in terms of the olympics now so let's talk about now rather than than the past your yeah. role and your responsibility both for 2021 and potentially beyond 2021 uh, yeah, I, like I guess we're focused on this year. Like it's been, it's been super hard. You know, you know, it's off. It's it's on. It's off. It's definitely on at this point. Like, I'm, like it was one point where I wasn't sure, like everyone else. But now I'm pretty confident. Like I'm 99.9 percent. We're going. Uh, my role there is deputy chef de mission. So there's a chef de mission. Uh, her name is um, Trisha Herbley. She's an Aussie woman. Um, she's an Olympic medalist herself and Olympic medal winning coach. So we're super fortunate to have her in this cycle, that experience, to have that leadership. I've learned a lot from her uh, in the last two years. We've got a small enough team um, in terms of operations. So, but my role there is accreditations, um, selections. I've got a role around kit. Uh, I drew the short straw and I have to organize the kit. So I do a lot of work with uh, Adidas on that one. I'm sort of nervous about the unveiling of the kit because I don't even want to tell you I'm involved in the kit because you either like it or you don't. <laughs> <laughs> It'll either it'll go well, it'll be grand. It's lovely. I've got some of it here uh, somewhere. Um, flat, like there's a there's a big team and it's a big operation. You know yourself how an Ironman race, the logistics, and we're trying to get at, at, at the start of the cycle. There's 800 people who think they can get to the Olympics, and every year it goes down and down. Now we're at we're still at you know 200 athletes who still have the opportunity to qualify. We'd probably end up qualifying a team of about 100 if the rugby sevens qualify. It's 120. So. Each one of those people have, you know, medical team. Coronavirus is, you know, it, it's at the forefront of everything. It's going to be a very different games. Um, there's a lot of risk management in this, at this point. The costs are sort of spiraling a little bit just with everything, even on the kit. The cost of freight now, you know, your costs are higher. So cost control is a big issue at the moment. Um, but we're still working super hard. And, and I think I, I saw a good interview by one of the hockey girls recently, and it's going to be her first games. So it's still her Olympics you know and um our job is to make sure that it's a seamless transition from her to get from here to there to compete at the best of her ability in the teams to not notice you know we'll do a good job behind the scenes if if no one notices anything hindering them like we have a mantra is nothing in our way so you know carolyn and, and russell uh, and the team the triathletes will hopefully be there um looking forward to that have a little bit of an in with carolyn of course um but i'm still I'm still excited about it. I think I'd be, I'm, I grew up watching Olympics. Like I don't, I don't care for a lot of things, but the Olympics it will excite me no matter where it is or, you know, how I think it's going to go. But, and it's no different in Paris then after that will be home Olympics again, more excitement. We've seen already some of the, some of the sketches, you know, there's the beach volleyball is underneath the Eiffel Tower, like incredible, like they're going to do, it's going to be more of an entertainment um, a little bit more commercial maybe but it's going to be a different games but it'll be a little bit more like legacy of, of London Paris will be so a couple of exciting years away you know I've already got Izzy and Ted prepped 
for future games, you know. Have you any particular uh, games or sports in mind? Uh, Izzy, um, yeah, I don't know. I, at the moment, like, we, we, we live in Wicklow and it's super outdoors, and so we're really handy. And uh, when we bought our house here, like, Siobhan was the organizer there, and uh, we there's a hedge at the end of our road, and, you know, I wander up down the road to nose in the other neighbor's houses at one point, and there's a hole in the hedge, and I walk through the hedge, and there's a running track. This this running track in my dream house. So uh, Izzy comes with me to some of the sessions. We walk, you know, 200 meters through the hedge. There's a little football pitch that no one knows about. There's a little park, um, and swimming. Ted loves water, and I like I like to see them do loads of sports. Um, like to see them, you know, swim, cycle, or run, if not all three. They'll have no choice at one point, you know. They're like me for it or hate me for it. <laughs> And what about yourself, Gav? Are you doing any training at the moment or are you too busy trying to balance everything else that's going on? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Tra- I wouldn't call it training. I get out on the bike. I have a little running buggy that I try and, you know, convince myself that I'm running. Um, uh, but I ride at the weekends if I can. If it's not raining, Carolyn knows if it's not raining, I'll go out on a Sunday. And if it's raining, she doesn't even bother. Uh, if it's under 10 degrees, I've got a double digit rule. If it's under 10 degrees, don't expect me to even respond to your text. <laughs> You're like uh, Nikki Bartlett. She said the same thing the other night. Yeah. Um, double, I think it was double digit. If it's under ten degrees, uh, yeah. she won't go out. Now, if it's um, if it feels like under ten, kind of within a couple of degrees, she'll go out. But if it's under ten, she won't go. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll go. Um, if under duress. Uh, yeah, but there's a little group here, and I, I ride running sore. Like I'm old. Like my knees get sore if I run for many more than fifty minutes, and everything itches or something when I go running because there's too much movement. Uh, but I, I, I like cycling and I'll, I'll cycle because I know I can get a coffee. And and a blueberry muffin? A blue, like the, There's a blueberry muffin in Avoca in Ashford. Man, you'd cycle from Galway to get it. I'm going to have to um, to check it out when these restrictions are lifted. I think I'll be cycling everywhere. We are after chatting for about 45 minutes. So I'm going to go to some of our listener questions. And we had quite a few, actually, Gavin. You're quite popular okay. um, with our listeners. So I'm going to, it's like a rapid fire round almost. Uh, okay. So we're going to start with Peter Jack. He says, a question for Gavin. What was it like for two Irish athletes to win that 70.3 race on the same day? Uh, that's Zellam Zay. And any desire to come back and race age group uh no desire zero uh uh, i'd rather tell other people what to do and be critical from the sidelines but that was a great day um i'd love to see it done again emer and i had our time and it was super it's worth nothing if we don't see it again so we want to see two more a man and a woman maybe in y'all i have a man and a woman uh, getting ready and um that's what I'd like to see more for, for if I think back to that race, I'd like to look forward and see two Irish people um, on a podium again. And I'm sure Emer's the same. Okay. Uh, Limo Williams asks, could you ask Gav how he keeps his weight under such control now that he's finished racing? And Carolyn says, yeah, that's a great question. We were all wondering. Um, Liam um, slags me off a lot. Uh, he's about five, he's about four foot nine. <laughs> And I always say to Liam that like I could lose I could lose the weight in six weeks and he'll still be four foot nine. So that's how I respond. That's how I respond. Liam is actually an Olympian himself. Uh, he was he, he went to games. He's in our group. Uh, he's the life and soul. And he's one of the most, I, I guess, for hop up. There's a couple of people like him, like him and Lisa. Um, they're they're the glue that keep the group together. Like 
there's there's characters like Liam that will do anything for you and hop up wouldn't be worth it if there wasn't people like Liam in our group that's a lovely thing still, to say about him he's kind of he's still kind of small uh, despite like saying that he's small it's a lovely thing to say about him L- like there's an elite there's an elite end to our group you know but like we have people you know even like some of the names even like Kim Hickey like Becky Woods like they're motivating people to be around like I get inspired more you know as a 40 year old nearly 40 by those people than I necessarily do by you know Kieran and Chris and stuff like that so we we wouldn't keep up going if we didn't have people like like Liam and Lisa and those people in our group even Kim McGrath who's like the grumpiest man they those people make our group you know the banter you know but that's it we all need the banter and the laughs yeah. we really do especially in in the current Covid times Connor Verbruggen says what qualities did you not see in coaches that you now try to bring as a coach yourself you need to find yourself a coach who is as competitive as you are what I'd like to see for Hop Up is another group in Cork in Belfast in you know there's a lack of competitiveness um, for wanting people to reach a really high level and I think Ian and I are more competitive than any of our athletes there's a, something in us that also wants to win <clears throat> so we get good results because we're super competitive that's what I'd say uh, Nikki Bartlett says uh, best and worst advice you've ever been given oh um, best advice is uh, no one cares. <laughs> no, <laughs> no one cares. Why, why you? No one cares about your your no your um your results. Um, uh, worst advice. Um, I I I got I live I live a lot of my traffic here by people telling me that I couldn't do it. I, you're not. You know I had a quite a famous Aussie coach who you you know if I mention him. He told me when I was young. Now you're too tall. Now you you you'll always be too heavy to run fast. You know you'll not get up that hill. You're too big. And the same year, I think I was 13th at Worlds under 23s. And like, I thought that was a really good result. So he still thought it was a pretty shit result. <laughs> like, so I was happy. Was uh, he trying like, to do a bit of negative uh, psychology on you? There was a lot of, like, the Aussie coaches, there's, they live off negative psychology. But it gets the most out of you. Like, it's not necessarily always the happiest environment to be living in, but they get you to the top. Um, but doesn't answer your question of, of worst advice. Um, but... I can't. I can't think of that one. Worst advice I give a lot of bad advice. I you should ask one of the athletes for that. Okay, we might ask the hop hop athletes to um, send us a message uh, when the show goes live of the worst advice that Gavin Noble has ever given you. My my advice to them is like we don't need to worry about drills. Like I'm Gavin, no drills. Ian is very technical and he's super knowledgeable and biomechanics. Gavin just comes down and gives the session. So I'm uh, Gavin, no drills, and Ian is the the expert. Okay, uh, Aileen Morrison says, if you had your time in professional sport again, what would you do differently? We've kind of covered that already. When Aileen came along, it was like the jolt, the triathlon Ireland next. She's still the most successful athlete we've ever had. Like I got inspired. I I worked harder because Aileen was in the system, and Aileen was doing better than that I ever had. I think Aileen coming along raised everyone's game. It, like she was incredible. It's just a pity that she's down in Australia and we never have her back here coaching you know so we had a great time Zillian and I we shared many's a many's a um a trip on the road and highs and lows and her coming into the system was exactly what I needed at that time someone else and I learned a lot from her like to her discipline S&C 
Um, so yeah, we're still good friends. Hopefully, we'll get Aileen on the show as well at, at some point uh, if we can That'd get the great. time to get the time zones right. Uh, Aoife O'Connor Ty says, "What is the most common error long distance amateur athletes make in training?" I, I guess they get injured because they're training too hard, but it's hard to brushstroke that one. Um, and it's depending on what you're training for. But like, I'd say people normally go into races having trained too hard at some point rather than following a good program and they're building up, building up. Like this, most people spend a lot of time, especially on the bike, training at the wrong intensity and not going a little bit easier that's how I would, especially and running too like people just run too hard people become very good at being very average you know then they don't become good at they're not slow enough that their hard sessions are hard, hard enough they just become this sort of average level of neither fast or slow and that's that's how we sort of pitch our, our own training it's either really hard or it's pretty easy okay shannon kelly asks what's the most important thing in your mind for becoming a better athlete um this is from shannon mm-hmm just doing what you're told, Shannon. Is there an unhidden swim. message there? Just if I ask you to swim the 130, don't swim the 119. <laughs> slow down, Shannon. Slow yeah, down. Slow down. <laughs> uh, Shannon, like she's like a lot of the girls in our group, like super driven and just wants it. Like they want it. Yeah. Um, but like my job is almost my job is to keep them interested in the sport long enough so they realize potential rather than trying to overload them that they have you know make a big jump and then they're gone like my job with shannon with with mint with minto or with kieran is keeping them in it long enough that they get to where they can go rather than you know trying to give them some magic session that they next year they make a jump and then they're gone or they don't make the jump or they won't make the jump and, and then they're gone now shannon also asks do you miss racing and also how many blueberry muffins would you need to get up big bertha Oh, oh, Big Bertha is this climb in Spain, and we went to a camp there. I probably need more muffins to get up with them than Shannon does. But at the same time, this probably weighing me down and probably need to be lighter to keep up with Shannon. Uh, I miss being fit, I guess. Don't necessarily miss the travel to races. I miss the jubilation of a good result, yeah. But at the same time, I've got other things now that, you know, I can be motivated by, not necessarily racing. Aoife Lynch asks, what three pieces of advice would you give to young athletes looking to step up to high performance? Uh, hurry slowly. That, that's one of ours. Always be in education. That's another one. Like we have a little rule in Hop Up, but we don't coach anyone who um, doesn't have education or doesn't have a job. Like um, someone like Carolyn, we coach her because she has a, her medical degree. And if she stopped tomorrow, she'd walk back into the office. We wouldn't coach Carolyn if she had not gone through school we insisted on Kieran getting a job we insisted now on Minto getting a job um so that's the sort of thing my dad instilled in me where we, you need an education above all everything else like triathlon it's grand you know six years of your life eight years but you need you need something to fall back on build a cv um in that regard you you might choose your education path that allows you to train like I did went to Sterling you know choose a university or whatever that's near your coach or is 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 near a better coaching setup that you might have has a pool <laughs> choose a university with a pool uh, i had my degrees item sports marketing degree kept my mum and dad happy less social pressure to get a job knowing that like when he does stop at least he has his degree you know um something else interesting outside of sport like education is it's the most important like even we've got kids now doing their leaving cert and we're giving them less training now we're trying to keep them training but they're less training because doing your leaving cert is more important than 
doing the 20 hours training a week for this year you know the leaving cert sets you up for university university sets you up for life triathlon is something we need to we need to build into those things I think it's a great perspective to have really because it's important that you have something for after elite sport if you do make it to the top that you have something that you can can do and if you don't make it to the top that you also have something to fall back on and if you hadn't gone to university and done that marketing degree would you have been writing the blogs for specialized would you have had the smarts to be able to get a job with them and actually see an opportunity to use your marketing head this way the kieran Kieran Jackson, you know, Irish elite champ, he has a job now. He's doing more training than he did when he was full-time athlete, you know, sitting in the coffee shop, you know. Um, he's going to be better than he was because he has the job, I think. And the job isn't like, isn't like you know, 50 hours a week, but he can do it. He can dip in and out. He gets it done. But like, I know that him having the job, he can go now. He doesn't have to live with his parents. He has his own money, you know, he pays his own way. He can go to races without funding um, and he can he can stop doing that job and have two years full-time training to build up to Paris. But then when he gets to the other side of Paris and they ask him, what have you been doing for the last, you know, 10 years of your life? You know, Here's my CV. I worked for this company, this company. I, I was head of social media. I did design. And the actual subconscious pressure of the transition out of sport for him will be less because he's working and ultimately he'll get to a higher level I think because he has the job and absolutely and I think what you can learn in a job will cross over into an athlete life and what an athlete life will give you will cross over into a job as well making it a win-win situation Uh, Kevin Clark asks the top five all-time favorite training partners who were they and why top five that's a lot Kevin Clark, another when I went to Sterling at the time, he was the big dog, and they're all training for, they were all training for Manchester Commonwealth Games at that point, and he was the he was the best athlete in Scotland at the time. I qualified for Manchester, and like most randomly, I shouldn't have, I didn't, I shouldn't have qualified, but I did. I, I got the selection race, and I walked on pool deck that day, and I told everyone I qualified, and they all looked at me, <laughs> like really, <laughs> so uh, Kevin, he's a coach now in Canada, like a super guy, yeah. Uh, top five. Uh, Brian Keane, my ultimate uh, romance, bromance, you know, uh, when Brian and I lived together in Phoenix Park, uh, we trained with our swim team, we pushed each other, we trained every day, that was that was super for me, and the ultimate training partner, we're still really good friends, I guess, Brian, uh, Aileen, who I've mentioned, uh, Connor Murphy, who you'll know was sort of in between there, um, um, they're my three favourite Irish people, uh, Tim Don. I spent a load of time with him, like learned so much. He was like such a fun guy even just to be around, you know. And I guess I'll have six. I'll give a six. I'll, I'll say Fraser Cartmel, who I, who I trained with a lot, and then David McNamee, uh, who lived in, um, who lived with me in my couple of last years at, um, at uni and has probably gone on then to the highest height of anyone. You know, um, best Ironman result by British athlete by a long way, two-thirds in, in Kona. I went to Kona one year with the specialized crew, and I got given out to because I, on, on the uh, on the end of the run, I was cycling alongside Magnamy <laughs> uh, uh, in, in his Cervelo kit, like totally disregarding the all the specialized boys. Uh, but he was third that day, and uh, that was super super awesome to see. Like when he rocked up at my house in Sterling, he had a, a little tip top helmet on with the with the little cover, and he had little cycling kit, and uh, he. 
he was like he was a good swimmer and like a really talented but man when i think of him then to where he is now like his journey and how talented he was and again like super high my mileage super easy going like like and you forget sometimes about how good he was at short course like you know world champs on the podium um like he's super talented and like i i love still working with him and it's sort of have seen him when he was that first day when he rocked up he got to like um and and still to be you know helping him with his training at this point is uh like it's an honor to work with him yeah he's another man i want to get on the, the show at some point um i loved watching all of his updates on the balcony in uh oh man like <laughs> i showed you some of his training he had he had this rooftop um in spain and he would run during lockdown like eight to ten k's on this rooftop five minute k pace and yeah they don't make them they don't make them like magnamy yeah, he was, he was hilarious. He was very, very funny on Twitter as well. Um, so we have had a, a few more questions, but we've actually answered a lot of them already throughout okay. the interview. So I'm just not going to go back over them. Uh, so thanks to everybody who did send in questions. One or two other little bits from myself. So one of the big things that I see coming through an awful lot is now that we're looking at a return to racing potentially in 2021, um, some tips for athletes who maybe haven't raced over the last 12 to 18 months, or it will be at least 12 to 18 months since they last stepped on the start line of a triathlon no one will be good at swimming (laughs) i think don't even worry about it you know people get stressed at the moment because they can't swim but we always have to remind them that like there's very few people that are swimming you know and we have this little saying about the good people who get good results will be the people who have continued on the training like we have another little saying and hop up about staying ready you know so i don't think you can just switch it back on you know, with with a, with a couple of weeks to go and be satisfied. You know, so I'd be tipping along. Uh, I'd still be um, trying to improve on weaknesses. Like we're all like the biking and run performances this year will be better than they've ever have been. You know, so I wouldn't worry. Like I wouldn't worry. Everyone's in the same boat. But I would do. I'd always be trying to do something every day, regardless of how far off in the distance the races ultimately are. I don't think you can just switch it off. And that's we've been we've been able to do a good job, I think, in and I of just keeping people. Sometimes it's hard to keep them motivated. Like we do the, the Zwift League, we use that for motivation. We've got a a five k, a ten k, and a half marathon coming up in St Patrick's weekend. Um, so you got to do things to sort of test. You got to still be doing things along the way to test yourself. Um, we have a little thing where we have the, we call it the loop. So you find a loop that's your loop. Doesn't we don't want it to be flat? So you're looking at it, but you run the loop. So every six weeks you're running the loop, trying to beat your former self. Um, but you have to find ways of keeping yourself guessing, testing yourself, and uh, ultimately, I do think the the races will come. And if not, Hardman Allen, he'll just put them on anyway. So if I have any advice for anyone Irish, uh, enter all the Hardman races now before you're disappointed. If there's an award given in Triathlon Ireland this year for Athlete of the Year, it's uh, Allen from Hardman. If it wasn't for him, we would have had nothing at So like kudos to him and his team for putting on the, and they're great races like we had Becky go down there Hilly went down Michael McCarry went down and it was great to have that release um, so yeah thanks to him and his team Gavin what drives your passion for sport and passion for a triathlon where is that all coming from and how have you kept the fire lit over all these years I guess I I guess I'm just I'm competitive like in everything and um, I like to I wouldn't say I like to win, but I like to always do my best. I'm always trying to think of ways how we can make this better. Um, someone asked me a question the other day around when Tokyo was over and you're sitting there 
in the you know in the in the plane the way home what are you what are you thinking about and i'm thinking about how we can do it better how do we do it better so every day you know you want to surround yourself with people who sort of challenge you all the time if you're in a safe space like Ana and i are a good balance because we have different experiences and we challenge each other all the time you know um i sort of think if you and that i never exist in a comfort zone that's i'm i'm always looking for more information i'm looking to better like even in our coaching like there's too many coaches out there who who do nutrition and do snc and the bike and do the run program like it blows my mind <laughs> like how can they be this good you know so i want to be i working with the best and um if i'm ever sort of comfortable i get pretty bored and that's where i sort of change so um that's how i sort of would approach it you know who have been the biggest influences in your life i guess parents my, my mom and dad uh siobhan uh should say that uh the wife um darren smith uh, was a coach in sterling chris jones tommy evans i guess coaches are, are a big influence on you um big influence on me um at the moment yeah, tr- someone like trisha herbley um who i'm learning a lot from um but i, I sort of think everyone you ever meet so like every relationship you ever have it sort of takes you to where you are do you get me so i think those relationships and you know putting yourself in the room where you're not comfortable um if you're the best person in the room you're in the wrong room <laughs> like that's a cliche but like that's how i w- would approach it you know i'm um i love hearing people's stories like watching people like being in the background like at a lot of the races um when specialized was working like I hated people knowing I worked there. Like I go to the race and I wear a plain black t-shirt. Just like people like watching how people react when they don't know that you can give them something. <laughs> you know, it's very different. Like super different. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess influences like my coaches who I'm working with at the moment, family, um, same as same as anyone else, I guess. And then the final question I have for you, and it's something that Nikki Bartlett brought up in one of our Facebook Live shows almost a year ago. If you could dress up. As any superhero, or you could be any superhero, who would you be? Oh man, that's man, you're, you're hitting me with the last one. I should have prepared. You should have given me preparation for this one. I would have come up with something really smart. Uh, this always catches people out. Oh man, if I had, if I could have, if I could have a superhero talent, um, it would be to have the ability to speak any language. That would be my superhero talent. At any point, I could converse with anyone. There, there needs to be a cartoon with that man. You know, bilingual, bilingual Gavin or something. I don't know. That's a new that's multilingual. A multilingual Gavin, not bilingual. Um, I can't even speak English. So there you are. That's that's how I leave that one. A superhero that no one has ever heard about before. Yeah. You speak every language. Yeah. And you know, be invisible. You you and be invisible. And fly. Okay, well, now you're... Multi-talented, (laughs) I think you're asking too much now. You've got plenty of talents already. You don't need all the extra ones. I'm trying to get myself out of that question by not answering it the way you want me to answer it. I know. Um, Gavin, thank you so much for joining us for today. I think we could have actually talked for another couple of hours. I think we only scratched the surface in what we were talking about. Come back number 100. You can, 100%, book in number 100. Listen, thank you so much and um, best of luck with all the preparation for the Olympics. Fingers and toes crossed for them to go ahead and for success. uh, I'm going. You're going anyway. You're going anyway. They're handing out medals, I'll be there. (laughs) 
I wonder will he end up sitting next to Arnie Schwarzenegger again like he did back in um, 2012 well, I had a ticket where I shouldn't have had a ticket like every other Irish person in London and I was watching the gold medal basketball and I had like a media pass and I was sitting in the seat and it was Arnold Schwarzenegger's seat and he came in and told me that this is my seat and what do you do <laughs> <laughs> I just okay man fair enough see you later hasta la vista Hasta la vista. Oh my God. Gavin, thank you so much. And uh, it was a real pleasure talking to you. And thank you so much yeah, for your time. You too. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Pop by and say hi and let me know what you think of the show. If you are new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be both impressed and inspired by our amazing guests. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for the show. And if you have two minutes to spare, a review would be amazing. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day.